0: Daniel three is a picture of the Jewish remnant that will be miraculously protected by God from the Antichrist, Nebuchadnezzar a picture of the Antichrist, and God pulls them through it. So I just wanted to put that out there. I want you to know that there are some deep there's deep stuff that, that we that we have here in Daniel's uh, book. It's not just practical lessons about how God gets us through fiery trials, but it's a prophetic picture. All right, Daniel chapter four now. Daniel 4, and let me give you the outline for the entire chapter. Verses 1 to 3 is a bit of a preamble. Nebuchadnezzar's introducing this chapter for us. And then verses 4 to 7, a night vision. Verses 8 to 18, which is another way to say a dream, by the way, a night vision. 8 to 18, narration. Nebuchadnezzar explain, or tells us the dream. 19 to 27, an explanation. And then verses 28 to 37, humiliation. All right, so night vision, narration, explanation, humiliation. So verses 1 to 3, we'll dive right in. It says here, Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. Now we understand that Daniel would be the supervisor of everything written in these 12 chapters of the book of Daniel. You understand that, right? Daniel chose, under the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to take these words and put them in the Bible. But these words came from Nebuchadnezzar's pen. You understand? These are Neb's thoughts. This is something he learned. He's telling the story, and then the Holy Spirit told Daniel, Daniel, put that in your writing. This is something I want the world to know about. Right, so he says in verse, at the end of verse 1, that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me I'm going to put that in the back of your mind because that's going to link with my sermon perfectly today Nebuchadnezzar said I want to show you what the high God hath wrought what he's worked toward me verse 3 how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders do you guys see the exclamation points you guys see him he's putting some emphasis on here He's stomping his foot. He's raising his hand. How great are his signs. How how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. What he wants to do is just tell us how great God is. And he's going to tell us that from the basis of his perspective. What God has done in his personal life. I hope there's a time in your life where you have a similar moment, where you say, everybody gather around. As many people as will listen, I want to tell you how great my God is. Nebuchadnezzar can't even say that. The Most High God was not his God. He's giving testimony on behalf of Daniel's God. Because even Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked man, could not deny how great of a God Daniel had. Friend, if you're saved, you should know personally how great of a God you have. The Bible says that we look for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. I I like it when they call Him great. Our great God. He's not just a good God, right? He's a great God. One of His names in the book of Jeremiah, it just says, the great. I love that verse. He's just the great. You say, great at what? What is He not great at? (laughs) He's just great. And you ought to be able to identify in your life what he has wrought toward you and then say let me tell you you, you ought to you ought to work up the courage at some point to stand and testify right there's a right time and a place but to say folks listen God's been good to me let me tell you about it we have a song in our hymn book I love to tell the story you ought to love to tell the story of how you met the Lord Jesus Christ and how he changed you you ought to love to tell that story If you haven't tried this yet, I I recommend it. Write it down. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He wrote it down. You say, no one's going to read it. Okay, write it down anyway. And this is a good way to count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. You get to writing it down, and all of a sudden you realize, my goodness, the longer I, when you write, it slows your thinking down. Because you can't write as fast as you can think. Well, okay, most people can't write as fast as they can think. Right? It slows you down, and you start to think about what you're writing. and go, man, God has been really good to me. Now, for Nebuchadnezzar, if you know this story at all, Daniel chapter 4, he had a seven-year trip to the funny farm. <laughs> he, he took a seven-year hiatus from reality, and he's out there eating grass like an ox, but after those seven years at the funny farm, he comes back and says, you, you guys got to hear what God's done. What a great God he is. Don't make God put you out to pasture for seven years before you start raising a hand and putting an exclamation mark there saying, yirso. I got something great for you guys to hear. God's been good to me. We give you a chance on Thursday nights. Amen. Every Tell us something God's done for you this week. Let us know. And, and thank God, almost every Thursday we have some testimonies. Tell your story at some point. Verse number four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. Well, there you go. Life's good. Everything's going good. Kingdom's growing. Verse five, I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. This is standard operating procedure for the Babylonian government. Right, this is not, I do not think this is Nebuchadnezzar personally just saying, I think these wise men and magicians, I think they can add something to me. This, if, if there's a big problem the king has, he calls in his advisors. But Nebuchadnezzar, I would like to think, has learned by now that when it comes to dreams and visions, you don't call these guys. You you, you go to the guy that has access to God. You go to Daniel, and we'll see it now. Verse 7, then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar was surprised. He tells the dream. He says, all right, guys, tell me what what it means. And they just stand there. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think he was surprised at all. I'm sure he was just waiting for Daniel to get there and straighten things out. Hold your place here. Get Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. You know, before I got saved, I looked for answers to life's problems in many places. And I found some things that kind of worked and made a little bit of sense, but nothing that really rung my bell. And then when I got to Jesus, I found the answers. When I got to the Bible, I started finding the answers and went, this makes sense. Now, the last thing you want to do, guys, is after you found the truth, not a truth, the truth, you don't want to go back to... Something that doesn't work. right? Nebuchadnezzar, you know, Daniel has the truth. He has access to God. If you want advice, go to him. He's going to give you the Word of God on these things. You can just skip all... Now, I know it's a government procedure and bureaucracy paperwork. It is what it is. But you know where to get answers. Galatians 4, verse 9, these believers in Galatia, Paul is rebuking them. They got saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And then somebody else showed up to the Galatians and said, now that you've been saved by faith, you need to go back under the Old Testament, become Jewish in your culture, get circumcised, follow the law of Moses. Well, we're not condemning Moses, but Moses is not the whole show. Right, The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus came to fulfill what Moses said. Moses just bore witness of Jesus. So once you get to Jesus, don't go backwards to Moses. So he's rebuking them throughout this letter. Give up the Hebrew roots of God. In other words, you have a personal relationship with him. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. These things were holding you back before. They didn't give you all the answers. You've made it to Christ. You've made it to the New Testament. Stick with what works. Just come a couple more pages to the right, get Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. If you have found the wisdom you need for life, the peace, contentment, the joy, the satisfaction, the direction, the understanding, the strength, the motivation, if you have found all that in Christ, I promise you need not look elsewhere. You've you found it all in Jesus. And he's, we have His perfect and pure words preserved so that we have access to His teachings from now until forever. We need not look elsewhere for help beyond this. This is going to give us what we need. Colossians 2, verse 6. Watch this. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. How would you get saved? Now, in one way or another, this is going to be the story. Somebody told you the truth from the Bible. Now, that might have been a friend in a personal interaction. It might have been in a church with a preacher in a pulpit. And One way or another, the truth of the gospel from God's book came to you and that straightened out your soul. Yes? Are are we good with that? Right? And and, and like I say, your scenario, maybe it was at a coffee shop, maybe in the pastures, your story is your story. But somewhere, listen, the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Nothing else. Nothing less, nothing more. The gospel of Christ. So somebody came and preached the gospel, explained the gospel to you. They gave you truth from God's book that straightened you out. That's how you received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk ye in Him. You don't need some fancy extra other system. You certainly don't need a worldly secular philosophy to come in and build on top of that. That's what Colossians 2 is about. You got Christ. Look at verse 10. Colossians 2.10. And ye are complete in Him. You got all you need. So if you're Nebuchadnezzar, okay, maybe it's red tape you've got to ask, but you're not going to get answers from these politicians, from these magicians. Come back to Daniel chapter 4. You know, a while back I met a young black guy there by the university. This is four or five years ago. And I said, I gave him a gospel track. I asked him, are you saved? He said, yes, I recently got saved. I went to such and such a camp and I accepted Christ as my Savior. And he, he did have a, a fine testimony of that. I said, wonderful, where are you going to church these days? He said, well, I'm, I'm not. I said, okay. We talked a little bit more and about that. I said, where are you heading now? I was going to invite him to one of our functions. He said, I'm going to see the witch doctor. The look on your face was the thought in my mind, huh? How did we just take a, a very sharp left turn from a biblical conversation to that? And... and According to that camp that he had gone to, they told him, receive Jesus, you'll be saved. But then, just go on about your life having added Jesus to it. So he felt the witch doctor could give him advice that would help him for his life and show him the way forward. You know what he's doing. You found the answer. But now you're going back to the weak and beggarly elements. Things that cannot help. In Malawi, it's very rare to find a carpenter that has a hammer. A Malawian hammer, maybe we have some Malawians with us this morning. The Malawian hammers that I know, it's called a rock. <laughs> Many times on our job sites, well, job sites, when we were building our churches there, you'd get a, a, a strong brick or a rock and just pound in the hammer or you know, whatever you need to do. That was the Malawian hamala. <laughs> that was the word hamala. Now, you give them, Malaw- I went down to the, you know, the shops and brought, uh, bought them a proper hammer. And put it in their hands, and man, they start smacking that nail with that hammer, and boom, into the wood, boom, into the wood. You think they want to go back to the rock? Man, who wants to start smacking nails with bricks? Once you've held a hammer, don't go back. <laughs> man, just stick with the Hamala, <laughs> the real Hamala. It works. If you got Christ, you got the Hamala. <laughs> All right, Daniel 4, verse 8. 4 verse 8, it says, But at the last. Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar. Now, Belteshazzar means Bel, B-E-L. That was the name of Nebuchadnezzar's main god. Bel will protect. So in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, it means God will protect because he thought Bel was God. So Belteshazzar means God or Bel will protect. Whose name was Belteshazzar according to the name of my god. so you can see the bel at the beginning it says um, in verse 8 according to the name of my god and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods now bless his heart this is one of those bless your heart moments he doesn't know what to call the holy ghost it's the spirit of god it is the holy spirit the holy ghost right there are some proper names in the Bible. But we will wink at this. Nebuchadnezzar is using terminology that is common to him. The spirit of the holy gods. So he is acknowledging that Daniel has something special in him. This is not Daniel coming in with his intellect, with his education, with with his own philosophy. Daniel's coming in with some little bit of God in there, right? If I can say that in a different way. He says at the end of verse 8, and before him I told the dream saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Another thing you might want to circle or make a note of, the spirit of the holy gods. Not all the gods were considered holy. One of the earmarks, and let's say the crowning characteristic of the God of the Bible is His holiness. Now, I, I must admit... You will not find any gods amongst the other pagan gods of any culture that loves creation and loves his creatures, specifically you and I as people, like the God of the Bible. He is the most loving of all the gods ever talked about. But what sets him apart beyond that? There are other gods amongst the pantheon of gods that talk about love. But none of them have the standard of holiness that the God of the Bible has it sets him apart from all others. Many of these other gods you read about and whether it's African or Greek or European or Chinese mythology, many of those gods are mischievous and licentious. And those gods are all about fulfilling their lust. It's about fertility. It's about prosperity. It's, it's a bunch of stuff that we wouldn't have anything to do with. But Daniel's God is a holy God. In the, uh, verse 9, he goes on to say, "...and no secret troubleth thee well he knows this from Daniel chapter 2 I can tell Daniel to tell me my own dream that I've forgotten and that's not a problem and he knows it's not Daniel it's the spirit of the holy God living inside of Daniel so Daniel has access to all of this hidden otherwise hidden information I like what one preacher said I've used it myself a few times I have every answer to every problem in the world I have them all. I have all the answers. I a Big claim. right? I have all the answers. I'm just not sure exactly which verse goes to which problem, but I, I got all the answers right here, which, which is true, right? But, but also uh, a true statement to say I'm not quite sure exactly which verse you need, but they're all right there. In verse number 9, he says, No secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Nebuchadnezzar says tell me the visions of my dream because that's what Daniel did in chapter 2 and tell me the interpretation thereof Nebuchadnezzar got a bit excited however tell me the vision verse 10 thus were the visions of mine head he didn't give Daniel a chance to respond to that I think probably because he knows I know Daniel could do this I've seen this done before so let's skip that, that other part I'm not trying to challenge him I I genuinely want answers, so let's move this process along. Verse 10, Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. Now he's just going to explain to us what he dreamed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. Now that's obviously the known earth in his mind. That's what he's thinking. Verse 12 The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. So he's just telling the story. I'm going to leave it at that because the explanation of all of these things is going to come in a few verses. So I will tell you now, now. Whatever that means. Any time from now, I will tell you what that means. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, so now this this is another part to the story, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. Now at first glance, you might think that two creatures or two beings came down to Him, but that's not the case actually. This is just one, one being, a watcher, and a an holy one. So the watcher is a holy one. This is, this is a, a figure of speech that we call a Hindiades. Hindiades. And this is common. Even we do this still today, often. Um, in the Bible, you have a lot of these. When we say one thing, two ways, that's a Hindiades. So you say one thing with two descriptions, and it's always joined by the conjunction and. So I quoted one earlier, actually. Titus 2, verse 13. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not talking about two separate people. Jesus is our great God and our Savior. Uh, Thomas said this to Jesus. Remember when Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. My Lord and my God. It's not that my Lord's over here and my God's over here. Two descriptions of the same person. Um, in, In the book of Song of Solomon, my sister and my spouse. Uh, that's one woman, but she's of Jewish descent, so Solomon could say, my sister, my spouse. So, hindi addies. So, this is an angel. This is another way to refer to an angel, a watcher and an holy one. Uh, turn your Bible to Daniel chapter 12. I think it's fairly obvious why we would refer to an angel as a watcher. They watch over stuff. That is one of their duties. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talked about how all children have an angel watching over them. They stand in the presence of the Father on the behalf of those children. In Hebrews chapter 1, we're told that the angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them that are heirs of salvation. So there's a good reason to think that even we have angelic support to whatever extent. And you'll find other places in the Bible that indicate that. Uh, Daniel 12 and verse 1, and at that time shall Michael stand up. Now, the context is right in the middle of the tribulation time, and they're dealing with the Jewish nation. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. Michael, the archangel, has been deployed to watch over the nation of Israel. How many of you remember from Revelation chapter 12? Michael and his angels fought against the devil and all of that. So Michael is going to fight these, to use a modern term, Star Wars. Heavenly Star Wars, right? And he fights these battles because when there are wars going on down here on the earth, there are also battles going on in the spiritual realm. This is something we're going to learn in Daniel chapter 10, so I'll save explanation until then. All right, come back to Daniel 4 now. Verse 13, a watcher and an holy one, came down from heaven. So, this angel is referred to as a watcher and a holy one. Holy because this angel is all about righteousness and doing things right and be, being obedient to God. It is the opposite of a devil. right? So, a, a devil, and many people have um, taught, taught this, and I, I must say, I can't go as far as to say the Bible proves this, but I do think the Bible supports the idea that Unclean spirits and devils are the result of angels that fell. Now, I, do, I, I see the connection. I, I just can't give you one verse or a group of verses that comes right out and says that. But when we're talking here about a watcher and a an holy one, we're talking about one of the angels that has not fallen, not a devil, not some mischievous spirit, but a spirit that's come down from heaven. Now, verse 4, or from God in this case. From verse 14, now it says. He cried aloud. So this angel, do you see the singular pronoun? That's how we know it was. We're dealing with one creature here. He cried aloud and said, "Thus, hew down the tree, cut it down, and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it, and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth." even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Verse 16, let his heart be changed. I just want to point that out. There's the story switches, the narrative switches. They were using the metaphor of a tree. Cut the tree down, leave the stump banded with these iron and brass bands. And then it switches to let his heart. Now, it's, it's gone from this tree to something personal. So right about now, I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar's figuring it out. I'm that tree, right? and something's going to happen to me. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. A couple things we should mention. Again, the explanation of all this we'll talk about now, but verse 16, this heart being changed, this, this attitude, this perception of life. There are actual medical conditions that do somewhat mirror what Nebuchadnezzar went through. One of them is called lycanthropy. Lycanthropy. This is where, and this, this is part mythology. Everybody's heard of werewolves? All right. Lycanthropy, is when a, a person actually starts to think that he or she is a wolf. And they call that lycanthropy. So they actually, literally, go out and howl at the moon. Now I know, you know, Halloween time, you get people that just dress up and, you know, make movies about it. And I know these stories are false. And I know those people are not actually wolves. But in their mind, there are people that lose it for a while and think they are that animal. Strangely enough, if you go on TikTok, you'll find a bunch of them. <laughs> Barking and howling, and but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> All right, now now that's that's not what is experiencing. But there's another one called boanthropy. Boanthropy. So, for those of you that are cattle herders uh, and farmers, you might be familiar with the term bovine. So that's the bis, that, That's that's your you know cooey. That's that out in the field. Your cows. Boanthropy is the same kind of condition, but people start to think they are a cow or an ox. So this is not just Nebuchadnezzar. Other people very rarely, mind you, but they actually end up out in the field eating grass and so forth. Now, shamefully enough, you can find some things on YouTube where in Pretoria... A pastor actually told his members that if they went outside and ate the grass and ate the leaves off of the tree that they would somehow be helped spiritually. How many of you saw that on YouTube? Now that's heartbreaking, right? That's like forced boanthropy. That's, that's sad. But nevertheless, there are recognized conditions that would explain a little bit of what happened in Nebuchadnezzar. Now we, we are going to understand from this, even though science might have given it a name, The cause behind it is spiritual. If you were here last Sunday, we talked about in the sermon, curing spiritual madness. And you've got to to realize that just because your symptoms are manifesting in the physical realm, it doesn't mean there's a physical cause. The root of that physical manifestation could be something spiritual. And Nebuchadnezzar is an example of that. verse 16, "...let seven times pass over him." Hold your place here. Get Daniel 7, verse 25. Daniel 7 and verse 25. <clears throat> now these seven times, I believe, are seven years. And the reason I believe that is because of this, this framework in which, we use, uh, in which we look at time in the book of Daniel. Daniel 7 and verse 25. And he he shall speak great words. This is talking about the Antichrist. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Now, for the sake of time... We're not going to turn to all the verses, but come to Bible school. We'll give you all this information in detail. In the book of Revelation, it breaks all this down for us. This time period is 42 months. In another place, it's 1,260 days. Guys, both of that is three and a half years. So if if you plug it in, you get the 42 months, 1,260 days. There's another verse in Revelation referring to the same time period as time, times, and half a time. So the Bible interprets itself. Time, one. Times, two. That's plural. Dividing up to half a time. So one plus two plus half, three and a half. So that's how we understand the time equals one year, right? So seven times would be seven years. Come back to Daniel chapter four now and verse 17. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is still telling the story, and in his vision, the angel. Says this to him. This matter, the tree getting cut down and this guy being changed, this matter is by the decree of the watchers. That sounds like some sci fi Netflix series, you know. The decree of the watchers. (laughs) You should have some dun 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 music behind that. The decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. Now, quickly, the word demand. We use it a little differently now in modern-day English. Demand is like I'm forcing you. Uh, You have to do it. A demand in the Bible is a request. It is an urgent request, but you are still asking the other person to to do it. So let's talk momentarily. The decree of the watchers, the demand by the word of the holy ones. Up in heaven, if you can think of it like this, there is a heavenly boardroom. And when God makes decisions, He actually does, from time to time, call meetings and gets these angelic beings together and says, let's discuss it. This is not to say that God needs their input. It is a good example of great leadership. You get the other people involved. So hold your place here. Get First Kings chapter 22. First Kings chapter 22. And let's come down to verse number 19. Right, so the decree of the watchers. An angel or a group of angels can make a suggestion to God and say, God, we think this should be done. Those angels can also say, right, because where we're reading in Daniel, it has now turned into a plural. The watchers, the holy ones. So the, the group of angels, this board, boardroom session, they came together and said, God, we would suggest, we would request of, of you, most sovereign, most high God, please punish Nebuchadnezzar in this and this and this way. And then God, of course, would sign off on that and say, go do it, All right? So that, just, to, just so you can understand in heaven how that would work. First Kings 22, verse 19. Now we're in the middle of a story. Micaiah the prophet has been called in to tell Ahab <clears throat> what's going to happen when he goes out to battle. Verse 19, and he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. You see the angels giving suggestions? And then verse 21, and there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? How? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, "Thou, this is the Lord answering, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now, lest you think this is something dodgy on the behalf of the Lord, it's not at all. Ahab deserves this. This is a punishment. God tried to give Ahab the truth. God sent a prophet that told him right down, right down straight on the path. This is what's going to happen. Ahab, do this and not that. And Ahab turned away and said, This preacher's so negative. He never says anything nice about me. He hates me. Read the story. That's the story. That's not even me adding anything to it. That's what he said. He never speaks anything good about me, it's always mean. God says, "All right. Well, if you if you want a lollipop, we'll get you some lollipop preachers in here to tell you what you want to hear and tickle your ears." And God said, "All right, who's got any ideas? Angels, any ideas? This, this, this. Uh, you know what, Mister Angel number four thousand five hundred and twenty-two, you got it. <laughs> you get the tenda. It is your job. Go." <laughs> and he knows Ahab, since he's rejected the truth, then he'll he'll listen to these lying prophets. You, can you think of another time in the Bible this has happened, where God has employed a similar method? King Saul, spirit of God was there upon him. Saul, go take care of the Amalekites. Eh, he did it so so. God says, I'm done with you, man. I, I, you know, you just listen, listen, look up here. You're not fully on board. You just keep doing a, you know, almost the whole thing, but then you just leave a little out. So I, I can't use you, Saul. So then the spirit of the Lord comes down on David. 1 Samuel 16, what does it say? An evil spirit from the Lord comes down and starts bothering Saul. Why? Punishment. If you're not going to be mindful of the Spirit of God, here comes the other one. All right, so, so the angels get involved in that way. So Daniel chapter 4, <clears throat> verse number 17. This might be as far as we get. I was hoping to make a little bit more distance, but that's all right. Verse 18, this dream... I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Uh, Forgive me. I'm so sorry. One more thing I want to say at the end of verse 17. This matter, let's get verse 17 again. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. The angels got tired of Nebuchadnezzar walking around strutting. Look at this great Babylon that I've built. Look at this wonderful life I've made for myself. And Nebuchadnezzar let his position go to his head. I'm the king. I'm the king not just of Babylon, but over the entire realm, as far as the eye can see, the tree that can see to the end of the earth. And these beautiful leaves, beautiful kingdom and fruit for all. I provide for everybody, man and beast. I am so great. And the angels are up there saying, dude, you are the basest of men. You're like, you understand the basest. You're in the basement. You're like the bottom of the barrel. You are so morally and spiritually bankrupt. You have no idea how pathetic you are walking around wearing a nice set of clothes and money in your pocket. You think that makes you a man? The angels got tired of that. And that's why they they get to this meeting and say, God, can we please teach this guy a lesson? (laughs) Can we please prove to him what he really is? Can we give him seven years out there in the funny farm? Like literally on the farm, eating off of the ground, just to prove to him what He's really like. That He is barely better than an animal. That's saying something. There's a good lesson in that, right? Good lesson in that. Just because the world approves and maybe applauds and commends and says, good job, well done you. You've made a good life for yourself. Make sure heaven approves. Make sure you have the, uh, the, the shop of heaven. Make sure God looks down and says, yep, That's a life worth living. Because anything short of that, what's the point? What's the point? I mean, you'll have a few good years, but as we often say, there's only one life twill will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Your Babylon will fall. And then it will come out exactly where you rank in God's system. All right, let's all stand. This is as far as we'll get for this morning. Let's all stand and bow our heads. Father, we thank You... Letting us get this far, I believe we've already seen some profitable things from this chapter. And Lord, today we seek not man's approval. We seek not the praise of men. Uh, Lord, we, we seek to put a smile on your face. We have met to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, thank you for your help thus far. Bless our fellowship and the service to come. In Jesus' name, amen.